0: Today, you were offered a job, and let's say you're here in New York City, New York, and you were offered a job in Paris, or maybe Hong Kong, or potentially Joburg, South Africa. Would you have what it takes to lead well? Now, of course, you'd have a great foundation, I'm sure, of leadership skills that you could bring with you, and that would work. But in your new context, You'd also have a gap, and that gap would be around cultural intelligence. Well, lucky for you, today I'm speaking with an expert in that field. Her name is Dr. Anne-Marie Luce, and she just completed her her doctorate regarding cultural intelligence and has a lot to teach you around this topic. Now, even if you're not moving from the US to an international setting. This still works, especially if you are coming in as potentially a cultural outsider. So for example, I am a white male and I have predominantly served in schools that uh, the student population was mostly students of color. So culturally, there was a lot to learn. One last thing I'll share too personally is that I moved from Chicago, right? In the Midwest, liberal city to Houston, Texas. I've also served in Atlanta, Georgia, actually Marietta. And so these are more conservative areas. So there was cultural learning and intelligence that needed to be developed for me. So I hope you really love this show. Hey, it's Daniel, and welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. This is a show for ruckus makers, those out-of-the-box leaders making change happen in education. And before we jump into the episode, I'd like to take some time to thank our show sponsors. (music) Establish your legacy with Harvard's Certificate in School Management and Leadership. Learn from Harvard Business and Education School faculty as you develop the frameworks, skills, and knowledge you need to drive change improvement in your learning community. Apply now for our cohorts at BetterLeadersBetterSchools.com forward slash Harvard. That's BetterLeadersBetterSchools.com forward slash Harvard. Better Leaders, Better Schools is brought to you by school leaders like Principal Kateras using TeachFX. Special populations benefit the most from verbally engaging in class, but get far fewer opportunities to do so than their peers, especially in virtual classes. TeachFX measures verbal engagement automatically in virtual or in-person classes to help schools and teachers address these issues of equity during COVID. Learn more and get a special offer from Better Leaders, Better Schools listeners at teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. All students have an opportunity to succeed with organized binder, who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at OrganizeBinder.com. Hey there, Ruckus Makers. Today I am joined by Anne-Marie Luce, a proud scholar practitioner who believes that our moral imperative as leaders is to build the capacity of others through service, strengths-based support, In coaching. As an educator and school principal, Anne Marie has served a variety of communities in Canada, China, and the United States. Currently, she is head of school at Kehoe, France, South Shore in New Orleans, Louisiana. She has recently completed her educational doctorate at Gonzaga University, where her research focused on how leaders develop their cultural intelligence to lead in a global context. Anne Marie, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I probably should say, Dr. Luce, welcome to the show. Like, way to go. You did it. Like, what a huge accomplishment.
1: Thanks so much. Yeah, it was a great, it was a lot of fun actually to work on my doctorate. It's funny, you step back from it and you're like, wow, how did I do that with a full time job in the middle of a pandemic? But
0: you do. You do. You figure it out, you know, of Lisa, but anything you know about humans is we can be resilient, right? And so. Exactly. You probably had loads of resilience as you worked through that process, for sure. Well, I'd love to um, jump straight in. And I know that uh, you have a very interesting story. Um, you, you left a school where the role was very secure. Uh, but I think I think the demands, the increased demands and in, in the context of leadership there pretty much almost took it all from you. And and that led you to a pretty interesting opportunity overseas. So I'll set you up with that. And could you bring us to that moment and share that story?
1: Sure. So I became a vice principal fairly early in my career. So I was 10 years into teaching. and was asked to become a vice principal and started my journey into leadership at that particular point. And most of the communities that I served as both a vice principal and a principal were fairly hard to serve communities, communities that had a lot of poverty, a lot of mental health, addictions, a lot of challenges uh, within those communities. And I did enjoy the work. It was, it was very challenging work. I, I enjoyed it. I had a great team. I felt like I was really able to contribute and make a difference in those particular communities. But in my last school, it felt that the challenges that were being presented to me were greater than even the other schools I had served. And they became very overwhelming. A lot of changes had happened in the government. And there was a lot of labor unrest in schools in Ontario at that particular time. So there was a lot of work to rule. There was a lot of um, uh, rotating walkouts those sorts of things. So there was a lot of labor unrest. There was a lot of change to programming and and supports for schools at those particular times. And it felt like the job was becoming more and more difficult. So now I'm, I guess, about um, 12 years into my leadership journey at that particular time, having been at different schools. And I really wanted to leave my school and go into more system role because I really loved Um, curriculum development, professional learning, supporting teachers, growth and development, and started to apply for jobs and was not successful in my uh, pursuit of those opportunities within the system. So I really felt that I was starting to burn out. I, I wanted a change. I wanted to do something different. And it was obvious to me that in my context at the time, that wasn't going to happen. And that my options were Quite limited. I could stay in my particular school, or I could basically leave the profession, but that that's where I was going to be. So I decided to start looking at other opportunities and take control of my own destiny. and I began looking at international opportunities. I had done some work previous to that, internationally with the Ontario Principals Council and had traveled to places uh, in Denmark and also in Sweden to talk about best practices from the Ontario education system in um, teaching, learning, assessment, leadership, and and loved it. I I loved the opportunity to immerse myself in another school system, in another country, to see the cultural components that impacted how schools ran and and what they focused on. And thought, "Mm, this would be a great opportunity as a mother and as a wife, I was in a situation where my children were both in in university at the time. One was a senior and one was a freshman and had the opportunity with the support of my family to pursue an international um, school position. So through a process, I ended up at the Canadian International School of Beijing, which is actually um, preschool. So 18 months to 18 years, international baccalaureate school. With the PYP, MYP, and DP programs, I was the um, preschool elementary principal for there for three years. And you know, I I resigned from my well initially. I took a leave of absence from my job for two years and thought, okay, I'll do this for two years and then I'll decide whether I go back to my my job, my pension, the security of that position, or perhaps go in a different direction. And after two years, I made the decision to give that up and stay internationally and see where it uh, took me. So that was my first international placement. And in the meantime, just recently, I I left the the job in China because of the COVID-19 pandemic. And I'm happy to share that experience. And recently have just taken on the job of head of school in New Orleans at a... um, private uh school independent school that's part of a group called international schools partnerships that has 50 international schools around the world including the u.s and canada but that many other places uh around the world mm. so that's where i meant M um, today
0: yeah well you've uh traveled wide and far and that's just such an incredible experience what i love about your story is you know by by zooming out you know You decided to take control and and just able to experience, you know, awesome opportunities. And a lot of times I hear from, you know, listeners, ruckus maker listening to this show or uh, leaders I support, and they can be frustrated if they're in the process, right, of finding a new position. Uh, But if you stay local, you know, you limit your options. Much like you, when, you know, I used to try to do these uh, local live, intimate dinners where our focus would be let's talk leadership let's talk education and you know enjoy a meal and maybe some drinks but it was hard to gather people together even coming from chicago a large city but when i opened up that invitation obviously to the world then connecting became very easy and the ideas started to spread like like wildfire. But that's enough about me. I'd love to hear more about your you know your experience, uh, especially in in Beijing. You know, going to going to China. Here you have a set of leadership skills that you're you're confident in. I'm guessing, and just wondering how that would translate. But I think there were some also like missing pieces, and maybe that informed your your uh, doctorate work as well. But yeah, you found some stuff out about culture. What did you find out?
1: So you're right. I, I felt the one thing I would say that was a gift from my time in Ontario is that my particular school board invested a lot into my growth and development as a leader. So, and I mean that beyond being a manager. I mean that as being a leader, the the ability to coach, to develop people, to mentor, to lead the instructional program. So I felt that I when I went to China that I had a really strong set of leadership skills. And I had applied those in several different skills in my district, several different types of schools in in different communities. So I felt like I, you know, I had a pretty good background in leadership and thought, well, I can do this. But when I went to China, I really experienced a lot of frustration initially. And it wasn't about leading the instructional program or necessarily leading my staff at times or knowing how to create a vision or implement a plan for improvement. It was more about relational pieces. So in the fall of my first year in Beijing, feeling frustrated, having some failures with parents, That was a big one for me because I could never understand why the strategies that I'd used for parents in Ontario really weren't working with the parents that I had in China or even sometimes directing some of my Chinese staff because I had international staff, a lot of Canadians, and a lot of Americans, but then I had a large Chinese staff. I was like, why is this not working? (laughs) And in that course that I took in the fall with the IB, which was um, one of the IB leadership workshops there was a component on the role of culture and leadership. And I remember distinctly sitting in that workshop and thinking, aha, this is it. This is the piece that's missing. This is the missing link. This is why you're not being successful is you really don't understand how to lead in a different culture or how culture impacts leadership. And so I really began then at that time considering going to work on my educational doctorate. And and one of the components of my doctorate was you had to find a problem of practice, something that was really impacting you in in your role or in your school. And for me, it was cultural intelligence and leadership. And so I devoted my study of cultural or my doctorate on cultural intelligence and leadership over the last two years and came to understand the importance that it has in how we lead in international schools. Or actually, I would even say, because I had the last year off and really was focusing on my doctorate, one of the sort of extensions or ways that I was able to deepen my understanding was to see how then cultural intelligence could be Um, applied to leadership in any context, not just internationally. So, you know, when we're looking at diversity, equity, and inclusion, and that being a big push for schools, is how then does cultural intelligence impact that work in schools today as well? So that's been a big focus for me for the last two years.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. Thank you for breaking that down a bit. And uh, sharing the epiphany, right? Like, oh, this is, it's a cultural piece where the, the misfiring is happening. And I also appreciate how you ended there because of course that's something to consider moving from Ontario to Beijing, you know, me, uh, Chicago to Houston, that's not international, but maybe might as well be right when you're talking mm-hmm. about the Midwest and then, uh, uh you know, a southern city in Texas, right? Uh, and then from there, we went to Belgium, Netherlands, Scotland. So, <laughs> I've been I've been living this out, probably tripping over my feet and my tongue along the way. But for the ruckus maker listening, you know, if if she, if she wants to improve her cultural intelligence and develop that skill set, obviously it, it's deep and expansive that work. But what are what are some tips that? the ruckus maker listening can take action on today whether they're going to an international school to lead or maybe they're just going from the midwest to the south or from coast to coast
1: so i think one of the key components that that happens is whether you are going moving to a new city or whether you're going to a lead in a new school in a new city whether that's within the us or for me canadian to china canadian to the us is really doing your homework, building your knowledge, having an understanding of the community that you're moving into. And I don't mean the actual school community, I mean the community or the state. So what is what are the political values there, for example? What languages are predominant? How do certain systems uh, work there? What's entertainment look like? You know, what, um, like coming to New Orleans, You know, it is a very liberal city in a very conservative state. So what does that impact have on my school and how will I navigate some of of those um, components of things? So really doing your homework around gathering actual information and knowledge is really important. Um, I think it's also important to have a really deep understanding of what are your motivations for going places and and wanting to go to a new context, for example. So, you know, why did I go to China? Because I really wanted to learn about how education worked in another world, in another place, in another context. Right. Um, and I also wanted to work in an international school, and I also wanted to work in an IB school. Those were all very, very important to me. So one of the reasons I chose the school that I went to was because. It was, had a Canadian curriculum as well as the IB curriculum. It was in the embassy district of Beijing. So I knew that there was a large expat community, um, community. So I had a lot of these things. But I also wanted to really understand, you know, for myself, not based on what we see in the media or what we experience, what China was like yeah. and what it was like to live and work in that particular environment. And so those were some of my motivations. Really, I was very curious and I've always, I think, been a very curious educator. And I think that's really what motivates me um, also to have a deeper understanding of people and have a deeper understanding of education and what it looks like and how it could be in other places were some of my motivations. Another thing that I think is the probably was the biggest learning curve for me around the cultural piece was strategy is really looking at how you approach people based on cultural beliefs and values. Um, So there's a lot of great things that you can read. David Livermore has a book called Leading with Cultural Intelligence. It's really great. Aaron Meyer has one called The Culture Map. There's a lot of online things called, um, like Hofstede has one where he does country comparisons allow you to see the values between countries, like, for example, communication, what does that look like in China versus Canada? Mm -hmm. Power distance, what does that look like in Canada versus China? Which does impact leadership. So a couple of scenarios in regards to strategy would be when I was in Canada, in Ontario, when I was dealing with a parent, I was also often tapping into empathy, asking them, you know, how they felt about, you know, or using the classroom or the community or other children as part of the scenario or conversation. When I went to China, that really didn't work. I actually had parents say, I don't care about any what happens with the other children. I only want to know about my child. So that was a strategy that didn't work. So I then had to figure out what strategy would work with that particular group of parents. And You know, the strategies that I use for my Chinese parents, I didn't use for my Danish parents because their views and beliefs about education and child rearing and parenting were very, very different. So you really have to have the ability to culturally code switch in order to to deal with um, different groups of parents. So that's really important. Uh, When it came to staff, I'm a very collaborative Um, with a lot of shared responsibility. I loved, I want to know what you think, how you feel, is this gonna work? What are your ideas? And I would often attend meetings with my um, you know, um, expat staff and they're very used to that form of leadership. And so they were very okay with it. But when I would go to the meetings with my Chinese staff, nobody would speak. Nobody would share their thoughts, their opinions, their feelings, because they viewed me as their boss And they were, thought it was not appropriate or disrespectful to engage in a conversation that way with me. So, uh, you know, again, you're like, what's going on? Like, why is this not happening? And having a conversation with my leadership team, we really wanted their input and we valued what they had to say. And we thought we could get it. We just knew that we had to go about it in a different way. So instead of one of us being at the table with them, we had a head of our Chinese department and we would meet with her prior to these meetings. She would go to the meetings, speak in Chinese, have those conversations with her colleagues, take the information that we wanted to gather, gather it from her, the team, come back to us and have the same conversation. So we achieved the same results. We got input and feedback from that Chinese team but we weren't sitting at the table with them. So they were freer to have those conversations. So it's just looking at, you know, strategies and how to approach uh, certain things with certain groups of people and cultures. And then I think, you know, the, the, the final component, which this is all a framework, this um, knowledge, motivation, strategy, and action It's all part of David Livermore's framework uh, for cultural intelligence. And he talks about these, this four areas and, you know, with action, it's really just that you have to be very aware of both your verbal and nonverbal actions when you're in other cultures that you don't, you're not offensive. So here in Louisiana, you know, it's hot and, you know, I'm wearing a tank top. But if I'm in the Middle East, I can't do that. I have to dress in a way that's appropriate for the culture. Right. You know, just little things like, you know, spitting on the streets in China is a big deal. And and you could be really disgusted by that and it could be really offensive to you. But you're a guest in their country. So it's your job to um, adapt and change and be flexible based on what their cultural norms are, not necessarily what yours are. So those are just some pieces that I learned along the way through my research and experience about how to be a better leader or how to have a deeper understanding of culture and its impact on my leadership.
0: Mm, that's great. Thank you, anne And uh, this is probably a nice spot where we can pause just for a moment for a message from our sponsors. When we get back, I'd love to hear maybe some of the the lessons learned that you want to keep from that international experience and bring bring back here. Learn the frameworks, skills, and knowledge you need to drive change improvement in your learning community with Harvard's online certificate in school management and leadership. A joint collaboration between the Harvard Graduate School of Education and Harvard Business School. Connect and collaborate with fellow school leaders as you address your problems of practice in our online professional development program. Apply today at betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash Harvard. That's betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash Harvard. Are you automatically tracking online student participation data during covid Innovative school leaders across the country have started tracking online student participation using TeachFX because it's one of the most powerful ways to improve student outcomes during COVID, especially for English learners and students of color. Learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer at teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. Right. And we're back with Dr. Anne-Marie Luce, and we're talking all about cultural intelligence. And so, Anne-Marie, you know, what, what were some of those lessons that you want to make sure you keep and bring back to your new school here in New Orleans?
1: So I think all of those components, you know, knowledge, strategy, motivation, action, those have to be a part of any leader's journey, no matter what the context is. So going back to my previous uh, schools and I didn't really, I think, understand what I was doing at the time when I was doing it. So for example, when I was in Ontario in my last school, I had a very large um, indigenous population and I really wanted to understand the viewpoint of, of the indigenous community, how they impacted school How parents felt about their um, their children coming to our school, you know, how they might have approached things differently in their community, not to judge or to change their behavior, but to understand the behavior um, so that I could better serve the students in that particular community and better serve the, the families in that community. And so what I did was I started partnering with community agencies to have a deeper understanding of the indigenous culture and what it meant and how certain things were about certain beliefs and values that they had and sometimes how that impacted schools. So I did that then, not really thinking that was about cultural intelligence, just thinking about how that would improve my relationships with families and students within my community. But now having studied it, I, I realize the importance of understanding where people come from and their perspective and what makes them who they are, whether that's, you know, language. And when we're approaching our English language learners, I mean, often we we approach that in schools, in my experience, from a deficit lens. You know, that we need to teach you English so that you can live and work and be OK in our world. and Switching that sort of to a more asset-based way of thinking to think, wow, you're so fortunate. You're going to be a bilingual, multilingual learner, and um, that's going to serve you well. And here are the things from your home language that you can tie into English language. And and really looking at that from a more asset-based way of thinking as opposed to a deficit-based way of thinking has sort of changed my perspective as a person who only speaks one language. I feel I'm at a deficit, not someone who speaks multiple languages. So just looking at language and culture and how those things uh, go together or looking at if I'm struggling with a particular staff member or a particular student or a particular family what might be some of the cultural components that I don't understand or are getting in the way? So asking different questions or making different observations or or gaining more knowledge through research or immersion in my community. Those are sort of pieces that I'm bringing into this context for sure is just asking different questions or approaching things from a different way of being in order to have a deeper understanding of people and um, in in a desire to create better relationships.
0: Well, at the end of each show, I love to ask the same two questions and I cannot wait to share these with you. Uh, The first one, I want you to imagine that you can put a message on all school marquees for just a single day. And if you could do that, what would your message read?
1: So this might be a bit surprising. It's the message I'm using with my staff this year, which is the comeback is always better than the setback. Mm. So I think this last year in a bit, almost closer to two years, really, if we start thinking about it from that perspective, I think people are actually losing track of time, has been a really challenging time. And educators, leaders, parents, students have been required to do things that they've never been tasked with doing before. And it has been brutal Mm. and people have had to, you know, really go deep and be extremely resilient. And, you know, we have to remember that it's not the end for some people. There's many schools that are still online. There are many schools that are still battling the challenges of COVID, even including here for us in Louisiana. But, That all said, there's been some amazing things that have happened during that time. And it's about how can we focus on all of these really amazing lessons that we've learned from COVID and how can we take those things and apply them in our classrooms and rise as school communities and rise as leaders and rise as teachers and students. So for me, that's the comeback is always better than the setback.
0: That's great. And now if you could build your dream school, you're not limited by any resources. Your only limitation is your imagination. How would you build your dream school and what would be the uh, three priorities guiding the work?
1: So my first priority would be creating a diverse staff that mirrors the diversity of the student body. Mm -hmm. I think it's extremely important that students see themselves represented in the, the individuals that are supporting their growth and development outside of the home. So that's a big piece for me. I also believe in multimodal learning and experiential learning um, that addresses real life problems and challenges. I just learned this week that a school that I know in international school in China is, is doing beekeeping. I thought, Oh my gosh, that would be amazing to be able to have like a whole beekeeping APIary, I think it is, right? here on campus, and what what an experience for children to see, like, yeah, how this is happening and and it is an environmental concern. So like talk about relevance. So I think just that multimodal experiential learning, it really addresses some real life problems and challenges. And I think that students can really surprise us. <laughs> they sometimes can see things that we can't. and i I, I think that would be amazing. And also, I really believe in student agency and that students are agents over their own learning. So giving those opportunities for student voice, student choice and, and um, allowing them to have opportunities to choose how they learn, what they learn, what, and, and where they learn and giving them, them the opportunity. And I think going back to COVID, you know, not all students didn't do well online, some did. And I think as schools, we really need to embrace opportunities to meet students' needs in different ways and allow them to tell us what they need and help to work with them to provide it. So, those would be my sort of overarching big threes.
0: Well, Anne Marie, we covered a lot of ground today. And if you could share and leave us all with just one idea what's the biggest idea you want a ruckus maker to remember?
1: I think. Oh boy, that's a really tough question. I'm sorry. No, I I wasn't prepared for that one. One idea. I think what I would say is that even as an experienced leader, I still ran into pretty significant challenges in my leadership. And it's really important that if we're experiencing frustration or failure as educators, to step back, do some reflecting, and try to pinpoint what we think is going on, and then work as educators to make positive changes and to learn and grow uh, just as we expect our students to do. So I think, you know, the learning is not over, no matter where you are in the school.
0: Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, ruckus maker